Welcome to Primity, where we find simple techniques to help address modern problems for our primitive bodies. My name is Andrew Pafford, and I'm a health and wellness professional with over a decade of experience helping Olympic-level athletes, desk jockeys, and seniors achieving their goals and improving their quality of life. Life is well and truly cruel. While it has its highs, the lows can be particularly bad and seem to last longer at times. And by that, I'm referring to injury. It's a result of when our wonderfully imperfect meat machines fail. Whether we were the victim of a stroke of bad luck, like being in a car accident or falling down the stairs, or if we had just finally written too many checks that our body couldn't cash, like exercising with bad form. At any rate, injury is unpleasant, and it makes life infinitely more difficult than it already is. However, there are a number of things about injury recovery that we may not be getting right. As a matter of fact, sometimes by being wussies, we can elongate the healing process, or worse, exacerbate the damage. To know if our approaches are correct or not, we need to understand what goes on in the normal healing process to better understand how we can better optimize these processes and get back to feeling great. So let's discuss the three phases of healing in the body. First phase of healing is relatively instantaneous, very noticeable, painful, and quite frequently demonized, and that is inflammation. Inflammation serves a number of functions that are critical to our well-being. The pain elicited during the inflammation stage is twofold. It draws our attention to the injury so we know it's there, but it also protects us from us doing further damage. If I broke my finger and I continued to use that finger, it might do more damage to the finger and result in poor healing. But since my finger hurts, I'm going to want to leave it the heck alone and even protect it, allowing it the time it requires to heal and hopefully prevent further damage. Another important part of the inflammatory phase is the signal markers released by the damaged tissues tell the body that there is an injury. This is what allows healing to even begin in the first place. It, it mobilizes an immune response to the area, not only to break down damaged tissue so that new healthy tissue can take its place, but in the event of a wound, you can imagine that potentially harmful microbes may have been introduced to the body. It would be nice if the immune system was summoned immediately to help stem any possible invaders before they can take hold and create an infection. The second phase of healing is the proliferative phase. It wouldn't do much good to leave a gaping hole in our skin or to leave torn tissues flapping about, right? Phase two is all about shoring up the broken pieces. One could mostly think of this as scar tissue. Our scar tissue, or fibroblasts for you physio nerds, is essentially our body's way of putting a cast on things. It's temporary, meant for protection, and designed to kind of hold things in place until healing can finish up. Third phase is the remodeling phase and it can be a little tricky. In remodeling, we see the new actual cells begin to form. Muscle tissue returning, skin cells repopulating, the body trying to go back to normal. Caveat is that the fibroblasts from phase two don't magically disappear. Just like a cast for your broken arm doesn't suddenly fall off when your arm is healed, the fibroblasts don't dissolve the moment the new healthy cells return. The healthy cells can form within the fibroblasts, scar tissue, leaving a bit of a mess that's not as good as the OG cells that were there prior to injury. We'll discuss more in a bit on what can be done about this. Now, 
Injury is injury. Obviously, different types of injuries will require different approaches to how these three phases are handled, but these three phases will happen nonetheless. Before we can get into nuance about injury type and tissue type, let's talk about things we can do to help get out of our own way. And I'm talking about RICE. Not the food, but the acronym. That stands for Rest, Ice, Compression, and Elevation. R-I-C-E. RICE. This is the conventional wisdom that has been passed down of what to do in times of injury. And unfortunately, the majority of it doesn't make sense. Let's tear this apart, shall we? Firstly is rest. Rest is complicated because too much of anything can be bad. If we don't rest, aka we continue to use the injured tissue, we're likely to cause more damage. However, if we completely rest, like we sit on the couch and go on a 72-hour bender of the Great British Baking Show, only to be interrupted by sleep, food, and potty breaks, then we could also be doing ourselves a great disservice. You see, the human body is designed around movement. Not only do we have a fantastic muscle that pumps blood throughout our entire body, but the rest of our muscles actually do a fair amount of pumping juices too. Once the blood gets far enough away from our heart, it loses that pressure that makes it go. In order to get the blood back, we need to encourage it with some mechanical pumping from our muscles. Ever wonder why some of the biggest advice for flying is to tap your feet, especially for my older group out there? Because being stuck seated in that cramped space causes your blood to pool in the veins in your legs. And when blood stops moving, it tends to coagulate, or as the layperson may know it as a clot. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what is known as a DVT, or deep vein thrombosis, and they like to be deadly. And the best way to keep them from forming? Keep moving, hence the foot taps. This causes the calf muscles to pump away, in turn pushing and pumping the surrounding veins in your leg, and keeping the blood in your legs flowing back towards your trunk, even if you're stuck in a seated position. While not nearly as deadly, your lymphatic system uses this mechanical compression to move lymph through its system too. So much so that it doesn't have a way to generate pressure, so it relies completely on muscle activation to move lymph through the body. You can think of lymph as the water runoff in your body, and the lymphatic system is the sewer that collects it and returns it to be redistributed. There's no water pressure in sewers like there is in the water lines that delivers drinking water to your house. Same goes for our lymph. Ask anyone who has a job that needs to stand all day. What happens to their feet? They swell up because gravity causes that fluid to pool at the bottom, and if they don't move enough to pump it back into circulation, then it stays put. This is an important anecdote for our injury. If we have pooling of fluid in an area, aka swelling, how is it supposed to escape if we've shut off our mechanical compression because we're resting? This is also mainly addressing the inflammatory phase of healing. As I briefly alluded to in the third phase, when new tissue begins to appear, its replacement is not always as, quote, ideal as its predecessors. This is because of two things known as Wolf's Law and Davis's Law. Wolf's Law states that natural healthy bones will adapt and change to stressors that it is subjected to. Davis's Law is essentially the same thing, but for soft tissue, that says soft tissues remodel along lines of forces. 
While each one pertains to a different tissue, bone versus soft tissue, like skin or muscle, they effectively say the same thing. Physical force is necessary for healthy healing and repair of tissue. This means once outside of the initial inflammatory phase, it's critical to begin using tissues, albeit gently and lightly, especially initially, in order for the placement of new tissue to be placed appropriately. As an example, our muscles run in striated parallel lines. When a load is applied, the force pulls along those lines. During healing, however, new units are not placed in a particular order and thus are not as well equipped to resist the same forces that its pre-injury predecessors were. However, if force is applied during the healing phase, the force encourages those units to line up in order to better resist the forces applied. This encouragement, if you will, can help better restore functioning by aligning tissues. This means too much rest can actually contribute to allowing the laying down of misaligned cellular units, leading to compromised functionality of skin, muscle, bone, tendon, etc. So injury should not mean getting a free pass at becoming a couch potato. If anything, it means being tender with injured tissues, but it becomes more critical to be gently active during the latter stages in healing and not too restful. The second letter in rice is going to make some people gasp when I say this, and I'll laugh at the hate mail I'll assuredly get, but the reality is icing sucks. Now hear me out before you skip out on me and change the station. For starters, let's talk about what we can agree on. Inflammation is excess lymph gathering in one area. In this case, the lymph gathers as a byproduct of the inflammatory markers being released by damaged tissues and increases the blood flow to start addressing those damaged tissues. The swelling can cause surrounding tissues to stretch, which can be unpleasant and can trigger our surrounding stretch receptors and nociceptors, known as pain sensors, which in turn make us go, ow. Because swelling no feel good, our first inkling is to try and abate the swelling to make our injury not so ow. Now, let's talk about what ice does. Well, ice reduces the swelling. Okay, how? How can ice cause swelling to go down? Well, on a chemical level, that doesn't make sense. Our lymph is predominantly water. What happens to water when it freezes? Yeah, expanding is the opposite of what we want, so that's not a viable explanation. Even if it's not totally freezing, water still expands when it gets cold, so that doesn't jive. What happens to our blood vessels when we get cold? They vasoconstrict, or rather they get smaller. This means that less fluid is getting to the area. So if applied initially and almost instantaneously, this may slow swelling from setting in or help control the amount of swelling. But if something's already swollen, how is the swelling supposed to escape? We've just shrunk the pipes that could carry it away and likely turned the lymph a bit more jelly by making it cold. So how does ice physically help swelling go down? Well, it doesn't. The one possibly good thing it can do is numb some of those pain receptors, making the injury slightly less uncomfortable but the moment the ice comes off, so too does its numbing effects. What's more, 
Prolonged application of ice can cause damage to the skin or even prolong the healing process. Think about it. If my blood vessels are constricting from the cold and I'm getting less blood, how are the tissues supposed to get nutrients that they need to heal? Now, there may be one useful application aside from the initial onset of injury, but we'll come back to that when we get to the do's in injury healing. So the third letter in rice is compression. I like compression. We just talked about how compression is good in our resting portion. Compression makes the fluid move. It brings blood flow and nutrients in, and it ensures continued blood return and lymph return, which in turn is the swelling. So compression can help swelling leave the site of injury. Put it simply, groceries in, garbage out. Now, compression should not be confused with constricting or tourniqueting. Cutting off the flow, in or out, is not great. However, compressing and releasing is necessary to keep the flow of fluids going, which is what keeps our healing going. We'll definitely expound upon this in our dues section also. Now, the last letter in rice stands for elevation. This one is also equally silly. Again, common sense exercise. If I hold my arm over my head, what happens? The blood drains from my arm. So if I'm preventing blood flow from reaching my injury, how is it healing? Any swelling that is already there doesn't just pour out of my arm and back to my body, like the blood would. It is stuck between tissues, or rather, it is now interstitial fluid. It is up to the lymphatic system to pull the swelling out. And if there's no fluid flow because it's too busy fighting gravity, then there's no escape either. Final piece of what is likely a not to do is medication management, specifically what we would know as non-steroid anti-inflammatory drugs, or NSAIDs. This would typically be your over-the-counter drugs like aspirin or Tylenol. As the name implies, these drugs are designed to prevent inflammation, anti-inflammatory. As we discussed, inflammation is a necessary step in healing. It is what tells the body there's an injury that needs tending to. If we suppress the inflammatory markers using medication, we are effectively masking injury from the body. The body doesn't know the tissues are injured, and so healing takes longer or worse doesn't happen at all because it's completely suppressed. Additionally, NSAIDs taken during the proliferation phase can lead to excessive scarring, leading to reduced functionality. As we mentioned, scar tissue is not the same as normal healthy tissue, so it will not function as such. So if you're contemplating popping an inset after an injury, you'd likely be better served not touching the pill bottle. If you are prescribed NSAIDs by your doctor, say on a daily basis, get in touch with them and have a discussion about whether it'd be wise to continue them during your healing period. Remember, I am not a doctor. So when it comes to medication or altering your prescription, you absolutely must consult with your physician first. So now, a quick recap of what we covered today. Injuries are no fun, but regardless of the type of injury, the same three phases occur. Phase one, inflammatory phase, tells the body you're injured and begins the process while adding some layers of protection. Phase two, proliferation, works to shore up the injury with its own cast to hold things together, usually scar tissue. Phase three, 
Remodeling is when normal tissues begin to reappear to go back to normal. Outside of the three phases of healing, things that we shouldn't do is rice. Resting to the point of becoming one with your couch can lead to longer healing and poor remodeling of tissues. Ice, utilized incorrectly, can lead to longer healing times and possible suppression of healing and damage to the site of application. Pression is good, but not if used to restrict blood or fluid flow. Elevation prevents fluid circulation and impedes healing. And finally, NSAIDs can be quite detrimental to healing and should likely be avoided or consult with your physician if you are currently being prescribed them. We had to cover a lot of information today to understand how healing works and subsequently why some conventional wisdom works counter to the natural processes. That said, we will be covering all of the do's on our next episode, so check back for that. Thanks again for tuning into Primity. We're interested to hear what you're interested in, so please send your questions, comments, and feedback to info at primity.org. And as always, strength comes in many forms, from within and without. So be strong to be useful. Take care and stay strong.